All right, so like I said, we're, we're in a portion of narrative, right? And I think often that's pretty hard for us because we, we tend to like the, the, the simple uh, instruction that a lot of other portions of the Bible have where it's like, do this, don't do this, right? We, we kind of know what to take from that because it's, it's right there. Um, and yet, in the narrative that we have here, um, there's a great measure of significance. It's in, incredibly, incredibly purposeful. And so... Um, what I don't want us to do, or what I would like for us to do, is to understand that if you, if you were here last week, last week's text and this week's text are linked together in that this portion of Mark is essentially giving us what a day in the life of Jesus would look like, right? So Mark's gospel is really pretty like, it's pretty fast-paced in that you'll see that word immediately in there a lot. So it's like immediately he did this, and then he went and did this, and immediately this, Right? Um, and so this is um, not, not an account of, you know, every day of Jesus' life, but this is what we can reasonably assume a day in the life of Jesus would look like here at the beginning of his ministry, right? And so it tells us, I'm just going to take from verse 21, it tells us, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, right? And then last week we saw that he heals this man with an unclean spirit. And then in verse 29, which is where we're starting today, it says this, and immediately, right, so we see that word again, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. They told Jesus about Simon's mother-in-law. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, And she began to serve them. And that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, I wasn't here last week, but uh, I I would imagine that sort of the, the summary of last week's sermon was that Jesus heals us spiritually. Right, that there's a man with an unclean spirit who, who is in bondage, enslaved to that, and Jesus comes with authority, speaks to him, right, and he is healed. So Jesus comes and he heals what ails us from a spiritual standpoint. I think all of us are, are pretty okay with, with that um, if, we're, if we're Christians. This text is all about how Jesus also heals us physically. Like that Jesus is also concerned about relieving what ails us in a temporal sense, in what we experience physically, right? And I, let me just take a moment, this is kind of a side trail, but I think, I think that most of us as Christians, myself included, tend to look at Jesus as the solution for sort of a relatively minor problem. And I say, I, I say minor based on how we treat it, not based on its reality. But we see him as like, okay, so... Uh, there, there was a debt that I couldn't really figure out with God that Jesus had to come and pay for me. And so I'm good with that. But then the rest of my life is just sort of mine to figure out. That if I have ailments, that if I'm dealing with spiritual bondage, if I'm dealing with physical upheaval, unrest, if I'm, if I'm not well, that's for me to figure out. Get a, get a counselor, go to the doctor, and hear me, none of those things are bad things. You should, you should do that. Um, 
but we tend to see that as almost divorced from Jesus, as, as though they're sort of neat compartments that Jesus is really only concerned with um, our, our, our heart, like our, spir- our spiritual side. But what we see here is that Jesus is utterly and completely compassionate, not only towards the spiritual plight of the peoples, but to their physical plight as well. And so what we see happening here is, is, is really glorious, right? Simon's mother-in-law is sick. She's, she's with fever. And all Jesus does is lays a hand on her, helps her up, and all of a sudden she's better. Like that's, that's miraculous, right? That's a, that's a king who has come with power that, that we can't even really begin to understand. And I think I'm, is this on? Did I mess this up? Okay, all right. Cool. Couldn't tell for a second. Um, but so this is a king who has, who has come in power, not only over the spiritual realm, but over the physical realm. Right? And he is delivering people from those things. And it, and it happens this one time to Simon's mother-in-law, but then it, obviously, good news travels fast. So people, by the end of the day, are lined up outside the door. It tells us the entire city is there waiting to see this Jesus. Now, so you would think, right, like I said earlier, that this is, like, this is a glorious moment in Jesus' ministry. Jesus has been alive for 30 years now, has done really not much of significance. He's led a normal life, and now all of a sudden, he is walking throughout Galilee, and there are people who are affirming his lordship. There are people who are seeing real ailments healed by a real person who claims to be a real God. That's pretty, pretty fantastic. Pretty amazing, so much so that it really does cause a stir, right? So much of a stir that after Jesus has rested for a little bit and goes away to pray, people follow and they're looking for him. Like, where, where are you? To get back to work, get back to this, this work. It is glorious, it is good, it is being celebrated. And so why, why in the world would, would I have said earlier that this is perhaps one of the more tragic instances in Scripture that we've read through? I think that um, we learn a lot just by, just by understanding, again, where we're at. So verse 21 tells us Jesus went into Capernaum immediately on the Sabbath. Now at first glance, at first glance when we read that, we don't think that that's very significant. And yet it is utterly significant in that the Sabbath at this point in time is essential to Jewish life and thought. To adhere to the Sabbath, to rest on the Sabbath, to honor the Sabbath as what it is, was of utmost importance. It was, it was honored in such a way that if you were to dishonor it, the penalty was death. That's how serious it was. That's how serious of a reality this Sabbath was. Now, for some of us, we maybe don't know what the Sabbath was or even its significance. And what we see is if you read in just the, the Ten Commandments, that law that was given to Moses, that he was told, right, that the people should take the seventh day should rest. They should not do any work on it. So anyway, so it was meant to remind them, right, of, of this God who who not only was going to give them rest, in whom their rest would be found, like, temporally, in, like, 
in the world, but who would also bring a rest to come that would be final and that would be full. Right? So this was very serious. But here's the thing. Like, like many things that God gives us, um, the people of Israel had turned it into, again, just a religion, just something to follow. So essentially, um, a way in which if you behaved appropriately, you could earn God's favor. So if you upheld the Sabbath, if you did what was required of you on that day, if you rested according to the law, then you were sort of good in God's sight. And so this is significant in that if Jesus wanted to be proper culturally, he would not be doing anything right now on the Sabbath. And yet Jesus, on the Sabbath, this day that is supposed to be a day of rest, he is having what would seem to us to be one of his more busy days in ministry. Right? He's healing people of unclean spirits. Simon's mother-in-law is sick. All right, now the whole town is outside the door. They want, they want all these different things from Jesus, right? And yet here's, here's the significance of, of what's taking place. The, the Sabbath at this point had become a religious manufactured rest, one that was to be held simply because it was tradition. And what Jesus comes and does is on the Sabbath, he gives people real rest. Right? Like those people who are plagued by the spiritual and the physical needs that they have, Jesus gives them rest in that moment. And so what Jesus is proclaiming in that moment is that not only is he not subject to this sort of religious cultural version of the Sabbath, but in fact, he's the bringer of the true Sabbath. This day is significant, but while Jesus is speaking powerfully about his person, about his authority, the people miss it. Like they entirely miss it. And I think we see that in the way that Jesus reacts to this great success, right? I mean, just think about it. From the world's standards, if you were to go to a church where there was a or, or a gathering, or a, a religious gathering, whatever it might be, where there was a man who claimed to be God and who appeared to be doing lots of really good things and was gathering a crowd, and there was a lot of excitement about who he was, what he was doing. Like, you would probably consider that successful. And yet Jesus walks away from this time tells us he goes out to a desolate place that he prays to the Lord. And then his response to that, when, when the disciples say, come on, we, we got to get back to work, is to say, we need to go to the other towns because I need to preach because that's what I've come to do. And so here's, here's what I mean by this being a, a, a tragic moment. All right, we would think that Jesus healing people is a, is a good thing, and it is. And, and Jesus' healings were successful in that they accomplished healing and that other people looked at Jesus and said, you, like, you can do this. But it was unsuccessful in that the reason Jesus came doing that, especially specifically on the Sabbath, was that he was making a proclamation about who he was. He was, he was inviting people to know the Lord of the Sabbath, not just uphold the Sabbath. He was inviting people to know him to see him for who he really was. And instead of that, 
Instead of people coming for Jesus, they came instead to get something from Jesus. That the crowd that was gathering around Jesus was not because Jesus is who he says he was, is not because they were there to worship him, it's because they could provide a good or service which would benefit their lives. And I think what, what makes this sad is that um, that reality then is pretty similar to our reality in sort of this Christian subculture in America. We like Jesus for what Jesus can provide for us or what we can get from Jesus. We're not excited about just Jesus. Like, yes, we receive Sabbath from Jesus, but is it about what we receive from Jesus or is it about him? And I think the distinction that we're seeing here in this text is that there is a significant difference between knowledge and relationship. There's a lot of people in this text that know about Jesus. In fact, they even have enough faith that if they bring their sick loved ones to him, they'll be healed. But they don't know Jesus. And that becomes really, really evident when just a few chapters from now, the going gets tough and all of these followers that had accumulated start to dissipate. And it's because Jesus no longer offers them what they want from him. Jesus no longer offers the, the right side of history. Jesus no longer offers healing and, and sort of your, your only, uh, only your good, Right? They begin to realize that following Jesus might actually cost them something. And so here's where I, where I think we should go um, with this in terms of beginning to understand and apply this text. Again, a, a couple of weeks ago, we said that Jesus came primarily to preach, right? That he came and that his first action, right, his first moment of ministry, we saw in verse 14 of this same chapter, his first action that he takes is to proclaim a gospel word, right? He says, the, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And what we see here, again, is his returning to that, in that, the healing that he's given has not necessarily accomplished that which he wanted it to accomplish. Now that sounds weird, right? Like, okay, if Jesus is king, if Jesus is God, and he sets out to do something, doesn't it just happen? Well, yes and no, in the sense that there are very real people here who have not grasped the reality that Jesus is who he says he is in this text. So here's what I would say this morning. We cannot confuse knowledge with relationship. It's one thing to know about Jesus. It's one thing to know Jesus. And I'm convinced that there are some of us in the room this morning who for a long time have known about Jesus, but don't know Jesus. And I don't, look, I'm not saying that in any way to scare you. That's not my goal. I don't want people um, to, to walk away from here sort of doubting everything that you've ever been, but being raised in a Christian subculture does not a Christ follower make. It just doesn't. And that's certainly the reality that we see here. Martin Luther um, would put it this way. He says, 
The life of Christianity consists in possessive pronouns. It is one thing to say that Christ is a Savior. It is quite another to say He is my Savior. The devil can say the first. The true Christian alone can say the second. And so my hope this morning is that really and truly that we would consider that and we would ask ourselves the the hard questions. That we wouldn't be sort of placated again by sort of just a, a religious moral standard, but that we would really and truly want to know Jesus, knowing that that want will be met because he desires also to know us. And so I think some of us may be wondering, like, uh, okay, so, you know, how do you, how do you begin to know? I think the reaction of Simon's mother-in-law is, is probably the most appropriate measure that we can take, right? What happens? Verse 31 says that Jesus came to her, took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So when Jesus heals us, when, when we come to know Jesus for who he is, what happens? We are not only healed, but we are empowered then to serve. Right? Like that's what takes place immediately. There's no prompting. Jesus doesn't have to beg Simon's mother-in-law to serve. She gets up and she serves. And so those who hear the gospel, who are changed by the gospel, become then doers of the gospel, Right? Now, here's the thing. I think for some of us, that might sound scary and that we're like, okay, wait. So you're telling me that following Jesus is not about living up to a moral standard. And yet what you've just told me here is that those who know Jesus will be known by their moral standard. But notice the order in which things take, take place. Did Simon's mother-in-law serve in order that she might be healed? Or, did si- or was Simon's mother-in-law healed and then empowered to serve? Because that's the difference between a religion and faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ tells us that he has accomplished all that we ever needed to accomplish on our behalf. And we now respond with obedience and grace and loving kindness. Religion tells us that we have to earn God's loving kindness, his grace and his mercy. And so we must attain to a certain moral standard. And that's just not the case. Now, for those of us who are believers in the room, I want us to focus in on what I mentioned earlier. I think a lot of us think that Jesus solves some of our problems and not all of them. And yet what the Bible would contend and what we should contend as Christians is that Jesus solves all of our problems. And I don't mean that in the, in the kitschy sense of like everything's going to go well for you if you follow Jesus. I mean that in the sense that God gives rest to those who are weary. I mean that in the sense that God is utterly and entirely not only concerned with your spiritual well-being, but your emotional, your physical well-being. And that even if we don't experience the fullness of redemption in those here, we will experience the fullness of redemption in those things in his kingdom, which is at hand. And that, brothers and sisters, is what allows us to walk through the difficulties of this life, knowing that even if they don't rectify themselves immediately, that the Lord is still the Lord, that he is Lord of the Sabbath, and that he will bring rest. And so my hope for us, those of us who are Christians in the room, in terms of 
what we would do in light of this text is that we would respond like the disciples. Right? There's a, there's a problem. There's something that, is, that has gone wrong. And what is, it that, what is it that they do? Verse 30. Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him, who? Jesus, about her. If we're Christians in the room, um, obviously there are a lot of glorious things that are true about us because of what Jesus has done. But one of the most glorious and one of the least used is the fact that we have a direct communication with our God, the God of the universe, this king who comes and is able to relieve people of their real ailments. And yet oftentimes when those things appear in our lives, our first line of defense is not, is not Jesus. But again, it's how can we find what we need in order to rectify this situation on our own? And I'm not saying, again, that we shouldn't use doctors and that we shouldn't you know, talk to counselors and things like that. But what I am saying is that Jesus, in a very real way, can and wants to heal us. And a lot of times he'll use doctors to do so. But he is concerned about all of who we are, and he's going to redeem us in a holistic way. So I'm going to leave us with, with this statement. Jesus' restoration of his followers is holistic. And when we need it, he gives it to us in an appropriate measure. What I mean by in an appropriate measure is that sometimes he doesn't answer us in the way or in the timing that we would deem appropriate or think most beneficial. But the good news is that Jesus knows nothing of half-cured cases and half-finished work. The same gracious hand that first touches and heals Simon's mother-in-law also upholds and strengthens her to serve. This is the same hand that will greet us in glory and usher us in. I don't, I don't know about you, um, but if you're a Christian in the room this morning, um, I, I think often, I, and I'm, I, maybe I'm just confessing here, maybe it's just me, but um, I think often, I am so concerned with what is, what is right in front of me that I, that I neglect the very real reality that, that God, right, God, the creator of the universe, Jesus, the Son of God, who has established permanent relationship between me and God in spite of my bad performance, is laboring for my good in all things. And that at the end of the day, that at the end of the day, Revelation 5 will be a real experience for me. That the King of kings, that the Lord of lords will wipe away every tear from my eye. 
that every sickness that we've endured, that every evil that we have walked through, that all of those things will be erased, that they will be gone, that they will be no more, that the kingdom that Jesus comes to establish will be a kingdom in which there's no healing necessary because there will be nothing to be healed of. And that is a glorious and marvelous truth. And if I can trust him to do that, can I not trust him for now? If I believe that that is the, the trajectory that all of creation is careening towards, can we not trust him with what ails us in the here and the now? Knowing that he purposes to relieve, relieve us of it finally and fully at the end of all things. Surely, surely he does. And so some of us may be going through a difficult time, and, and what I want to say is that though sometimes we are cast down, we will never be cast away. And in the confidence of Romans 8, we can boldly say this morning that grace is always accompanied by glory. That if you have received the grace of Jesus, that if you know Jesus, then you will experience the final and the full relief of every pain and evil, both physical and spiritual. And that your redemption will be whole and it has been secured because Jesus promised he would do it. And what Jesus decrees comes to pass. Let's pray.